So Waltz is obviously a very heavy episode. Yeah. And we will have a good discussion about it because I think it says a lot about what the show was thinking about Gold Ducat and where the show was wanting to take him. Yeah. And sort of repivoting his character. But the thing that I'm curious about is why did they leave him in his uniform? What do you mean? Oh, for in the I don't know. Shouldn't they have like prison clothes? They should have prison clothes, but, you know, what would they have him wear? Are they washing that? <laughs> and then is he naked? Like, what is going on here? These are the questions that are raised in my mind. I mean, I almost like, got... the fifth and sixth time that I watched these episodes. <laughs> I guess I almost could, because he is on, on route to his war crimes trial, and he now, he is a... He's not just any prisoner. He is Golducat. He is the head of state of Cardassia. I mean, there is a certain amount of form. Former. Well, yes, but there, you know, when you are dealing, even in the real world, when you are dealing with people who are at this kind of a level, the rules are slightly different. Things are a lot more ceremonial at this point as well. Part of the uh, implication is that this Fed, you know, Ducat seems to believe that the Federation is doing a show trial just as Cardassia would do a show trial. For all that, Cisco says, oh, we're going to give you a fair trial. You're innocent until proven guilty. At their exchange at the beginning, Ducat, no, there is no question that Ducat will be found guilty on here. So I almost wonder if they're keeping him in his in the military in his military uniform rather than a prisoner's outfit for a degree of this is Gul Ducat, military leader, and you know the former head of state of of Cardassia who committed all of these war crimes. He's not just a pathetic figure in an orange jumpsuit. Okay. I mean, of course, the real reason they didn't want to make another outfit for him. Well, but, yeah, I could go with that. I, I could go with that interpretation. Yay! Sure. So, yeah, Waltz is an interesting episode because, you know, doing some research for the podcast, one of the reasons why they wanted to do this, of course, was they wanted to deal with Gold Ducat after sure. his breakdown. We haven't seen him since then. And also they wanted to – They actually, Iris, Stephen Bear, and the writing staff were um, kind of taken aback and concerned about – some of the fandom's reaction to Gul Dukat, they were like defending his actions a yeah. lot of the time. He is a very charismatic person. Mark Alamo, who plays him, is a very good actor. He plays say, him very well. He does an amazing job of incarnating this character. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, because this is the first episode where Gul Dukat explicitly comes out with, you know, I hate Card- I hate Cardassians. I hate Bajorans. I wanted to kill them all. Yeah. That is not something that we've seen Gul Dukat say before. He has been a lot more political. I mean, at the very end when he's talking to Cisco and saying, you know, it's just us two. You don't have anybody you need to impress. You know, if you respect me, you can say it. To that end, Gul Dukat doesn't have anybody who he's with Cisco. Cisco knows exactly who he is. So, yes, this is a Kind of an opportunity for Ducat to finally lay bare who he is. Yeah. And I mean, I think there is – in this episode, it does seem like Ducat has swallowed a lot of his own shit through this. He believes his own lies for this. I think there is a degree to which maybe Ducat began this not quite hating Bajorans and maybe meaning all of the – you know, let, let's give him the best of intentions when he took this job. Um that he Which did. is hard to do. But, no, but yeah. let, let's devil's ad- – I, I, I guess part of the point of this episode is let's devil's advocate You know this. Gold Ducat was in this position of power. He knew how corrupt he could get, but he still did things the right way. And you know, as Bajor continued to rebel and Ducat has this blind spot where he doesn't understand why the Bajorans wouldn't just immediately lie down and surrender. Right. He has almost a white man's burden kind of interpretation of this. He thinks that the Bajorans were these backwards people who needed a stronger civilization in order to actually make them better, make them a real civilization. Cardassia came in and they had the best of intentions. They were going to, you know, put Bajor on the map and Bajor kept rebelling and they had to do something. And, you know, even though Gul Dukat could have punished them really severely, he just only punished them slightly severely, you know, because he's a good guy. And they didn't appreciate this. And I can see that building and building and building. And so then it then latent prejudice in Dukat became outright hatred by the end. Yeah, no, I think so. I think that's a good interpretation of it. And, and I guess that's the thing. It doesn't, you know, 
the, as you said, Ducat is very charismatic. Anytime he's on screen, he has amazing chemistry with anybody. He's fascinating to watch. Uh, even I, I guess even if you you can defend some of his actions, no matter what, Ducat did a lot of things that were beyond the pale, and he hasn't always been a very nice person. And so, and I mean, you know, to be clear as well, I don't. We never really know what he did. I mean. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, we say he, they, he says in this episode that, for example, you know, the resistance, you know, killed 200 Cardassians, blew up some sort of, yeah. you know, mining station or something, and he killed 200 suspected, suspected resistance um, terrorists, which is interesting because, of course, there is no suspected in the Cardassian legal system. Yes. Number one, you're, you're guilty. Like, you know, it is. I, I would say it's, we can't prove anything, but if you weren't guilty of it, why would we suspect you? I mean, it's a, yeah, there it's, almost yeah. seems like that double logic going on. Right. And so we know some of the, the kind of the, the outlines of what Gold Ducat did, but like yeah. on a day to day basis, you know, we don't know exactly what he was doing. Yeah, and so we've seen Tarek, and I think, I we've think seen Tarek Nor, and we know things were not good for the Bajoran slaves. You know, the, things were not right. good for those things. We know what the what the contingency plans in response to a workers' uprising were, frankly. And I don't know. Ducat seems to defend himself by. I could have been much worse. There are much more actively evil people. At least I, Ducat, had some semblance of order and ethics to what I was doing. Now, we as people who believe in the Federation are coming from a little more of the viewpoint of the Federation know that that's absolute bullshit. You know, yeah. What the Cardassians did, you know, whatever a- – a- and – one of the questions that the series asks is the difference between, you know, your government's complicity and your complicity as somebody who is a citizen of that. There are certainly some Cardassians who have had more 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 or less complicity in 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 events. Um the one from that was at season 1 episode where the guy who pretends he's the head of the camp but he's really the file clerk. What, yeah, 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 yeah. What was do you remember any of the names there? Uh God, no, I don't. It was the episode was called Goldar Heel. Goldar Heel. There you yes. go. Yes, he's pretending to be Gold here. Well, we have a. I mean, we have a lowly file clerk who feels himself responsible for the atrocities of what's happened. You know. Meanwhile, we have somebody like Goldukat who actually ordered many of these and doesn't really seem to have much of a connection to them. Well, I think it's one of those things where. Uh, well, you see this most clearly, I think. This is an episode a lot about Ducat as a person and Cisco yeah. as a person, of course, and we'll talk about that in their relationship. But I also think it's a it's a episode that is very much about Federation philosophy versus Cardassian mm. philosophy. And you see that most clearly in the little speech at the sort of beginning or midway point of the episode where Gal Ducat is is justifying the occupation of Bajor, not even the atrocities of Bajor, because yeah. You know, let's for for sake of argument, exactly. let's say that there's a way to occupy a planet without it being horrible. <laughs> that he says, well, we were better than them because we were culturally, socially, and and artistically, or whatever he said. You know, technology, technologically. I mean, advanced. these are all the yeah. But that really that boils down to a stark difference from the Federation philosophy, which is which says that you know, science, art, culture, technology doesn't it doesn't matter that you're more advanced quote unquote than another civilization they still have a right to exist what? and the cardassian viewpoint is we are not even more advanced than you we are better than you because we are more advanced quote unquote than you and we have the right to do whatever we want to do i mean this this is essentially a lot of the arguments that britain used you know dealing with india for example that's yeah, 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 that's yeah. you know explicitly what i was reminded of during in this particular episode um and i think that's actually a, a, an interesting comparison because you know the cardassian occupation of bajor and the cardassians in general mostly get compared to like Nazi Germany for example. No, but I mean but I but I think that that's a good way to keep, look at it because also keep in mind India especially you know has a lot of religious uh themes going around it as does Bajor in there. There are a lot of other colonial occupations that you can also 
compare the Cardassian occupation of Bajor to. Sure. One of the reasons that the series, frankly, frankly works as well is that it is, a, it is able to draw upon. And yes, you know, normally the Cardassians are related to fascism, Nazi Germany. But if they want to take some resonances from British colonialism, that can just as easily fit into there. Well, I guess, I mean, that leaves me with the question of, and, and you know, is it better to not pretend that you are, you know, a good sort of organization or a good people or a good government. I mean, I think that there's an element to which, you know, the British occupation of India, for example, and, you know, the British colonial exercise all throughout the world really was justified on the basis of, you know, we are, well, it was racist, but, yes. and certainly there were elements of that even in Cardassia's occupation of Bajor, obviously. But I think that it was more justified in their own minds because they thought, well, we are of a representative democracy. Uh, you know, we, we have rights. You know, we let's are Let's take good, religion good in here. People. There was a lot of a feeling that, Oh, those poor people with their strange superstitions and, you know, we actually have the light of God and we're going to bring that to people. I mean, there are, I guess. Which I don't want to say that that was the only reason. No, no, no. I don't even think that that was the primary. reason. No, but but that said, there were plenty of people who genuinely felt that we're doing the right thing because this is a region that has a lot of problems and we have so many advantages that – you know, we need to take control. Somebody needs to, you know, show these people the right way to live, which, again, in 2016, we believe is a, is a horrible way to go about things. The feder- Again, but to I contrast think- the Federation versus the Cardassians, the Federation be- believes that, yes, they do, des- they do see Bajor, especially at the beginning of the series, as a, re- as a planet that has had a really tough time, that is – much more poor in resources compared to the average Federation planet. And that does need the Federation's help, but they are going in more of a partnership in a more egalitarian way. I, 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 I don't I don't think that's true, though. Well, can't, I, and I, I guess I the question of the series is, how do you do that? I don't know why Cardassia would occupy Bajor if it didn't have resources, right? And so well, the, the, and you're, the not going, you're not going to strip mine an entire planet in 30 years. Maybe you could. No. I don't know. But I think it's unlikely. Well, let, let, let's say that um, uh, uh, maybe they, their resource count isn't at zero, but maybe it's at 75 when it was at you know 95 before the Cardassians showed up. And well, certainly they disrupted a lot, and certainly they do need you – know, at the beginning of the series, Bajor legitimately does need a boost from somebody just to get back on its feet, frankly. Well, yeah, of course. I mean I think that, that what it really comes down to is is that – in the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, and, and specifically in Gul Dukat's administ- administering of the occupation of Bajor, the idea that, I mean, for example, your your example of the British occupation of India, you know, yes, they were justifying their, I mean, they went to India for resources. They didn't go yes, to India to no. help the people. You know, let, let's be clear about that. And and so that was a justification. That was a lie that they told themselves mm-hmm. and the rest of the world for why they were doing this. Yes. Whereas yes. Cardassia is so different from that because they don't even have that. You know, Gul Dukat is saying we were technologically, socially, culturally more advanced than them. There was no the, – the second part of that sentence was not and we were there to help them become as great as we were. No. Right? They went there because they were lesser than Cardassia – the Cardassian f- philosophy is that if you are lesser than us, you don't deserve to live, essentially. And so that is the difference here, I think, that they didn't want to help Bajor. I mean, even though that's how they were framing it to the rest of the yeah, galaxy yes. when they realized that this looked really bad. That was PR. I don't think they were thinking that. I don't think they were talking that way internally, and that's not what they really believe. And I don't think that's what the rest of the galaxy believes, though, Cardassia either. No. Uh a lot, I, I, frankly, Cisco never. Well, that, that's I guess where Card. One of the things in the Goldar Heel episode was the notion that Cardassia needs to have a reckoning with what it's done. To a degree, this episode is Cardassia in the person of Goldukat dealing with that reckoning and dealing very poorly with get coming up with the exact fucking wrong answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, for most of the episode as he's going, Cisco has his opinion of 
Gul Dukat, he claims that he'll be able to be swayed, and maybe he genuinely would, except, you know, Gul Dukat hasn't said a single legitimate argument. Cisco largely just lets him go on and lets him dig his own hole, and eventually... Well, I mean, Cisco's in a very precarious position as well. Well, that's the other thing. He doesn't want to anger Gul Dukat, but... And how does, you know, that that's kind of... Cisco's conflict during this episode is largely how do I stop from just fucking screaming at this guy who's just saying the worst kind of shit? Yeah. I mean, yeah. This, you know, this is the kind of the episode with, you know, us in a room with a white a Nazi white supremacist who is trying to justify us his philosophy and we just don't want to piss him off. But well, and I also think that it's it's an interesting companion piece to indiscretion from the fourth season because. You know, in that episode, we had Gold Dukat and Kira going mm. off on a mission by themselves, uh, you know, to, to rescue Zial, which, of course, is interesting because Zial was the, the precipitating, her death was the precipitating event for Gold Dukat's breakdown. Yes. And, you know, in this episode, we have kind of a, a reverse of that where, you know, we've got two characters, Gold Dukat and, and Cisco, that are by themselves. Dukat is trying to, I mean, Dukat was trying to charm Kira in indiscretion, and to some degree it was succeeding. Whereas now, two years later, what we see is a Gold Dukat that is completely broken mentally and is is not able to do that anymore. And he is also with someone who knows exactly who Gold Dukat is. Kira also yeah. knew that as well, but... It it's, was it was a little it was a little removed. It was not well. Goldicott does. I mean, if we take that Goldicott hates Bajorans, you know, it's sad to say that Kira's opinion of him will always mean slight will be a slightly different opinion of him than Cisco is. I think he doesn't see necessarily see Kira as an equal. He sees her as a particularly intelligent and compelling Bajoran. He sees yeah. Cisco, he sees Cisco as the equal, and so in in this episode, Cisco's af- approval and friendship turn to you know become redemption for Golducat. That's the Golducat. I think has an inkling, especially during this episode, especially with how badly things went for him the last time we saw him. He has the in- inkling that he may be the bad guy, and. Cisco's going to be the one who's going to be able to absolve him. So I, I would go further than that and say that Gul Dukat knows he's a bad person and knows he's an evil person, but but just doesn't want to deal with it. And if he can, he can get. Cis- I mean, and who can really? Well, right? yeah. And if Cisco can say, "Well, no, you were perfectly justified. You know, if you did some bad things, it was the war. We all do bad things in a war. You know, what you did wasn't war crimes. It was just the way of things. And frankly, you know." If Cisco were to say that Gold Ducat would be able to justify his own actions, I think again, Gold, yeah. does Gold Ducat believe his own shit or not? I think in this episode, I think if you asked him before this day, he would say yes. But in this episode, that's where it begins to crack because it's just him and Cisco. He doesn't have anybody around who needs to accept what he's saying. Nobody's going well. to tell him what he wants to. Well, that's why he has to create. <laughs> These personas in his head. I mean, this is that's where that the the kind of gimmick of the episode comes from. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that, but the last thing I want to mention before we before we move on to to his visions is, I was struck in this episode by the fact that Gold Ducat is calling Cisco Benjamin, and yeah, I, and and Cisco is calling him Ducat. Now we don't actually know Ducat's first name. I don't believe. I don't think we've ever been told it, mm-hmm. but. It is interesting to me because I don't remember. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's impossible that Ducat has ever called Cisco Benjamin before. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. he has at some point, but it's a very striking difference from how Gold Ducat has been referring to Cisco when he talked to him before this. Yes, you know, by using Cisco's first name all the time, you know, I don't think that it's a a conscious strategy on his part to make Cisco feel more comfortable or closer with him. I think it's but, just as simple as again he keeps insisting to Cisco we're friends. We're well friends, yeah, we're I friends. think and, I think that's what it is. Yeah. And I think it's a really it, you know that that speaks to I think how well the episode is written. What I th- well, actually a note that I wrote along those lines the world building is so good that I mean frankly what I didn't notice the Benjamin but I noticed that he keeps calling Kira Norris and how Yeah, that too. how offensively familiar that's that that is you know the show has built that up to feel as 
creepy as it is because Ducat does not have the right to call her by her first name. No, he doesn't. Hmm. Well, I, I just looked it up. Apparently, his first name is Screen, although that's non, that's non-canon. So there Thank you go. God. So, but either way, Ducat is intended to be his. Ducat is his last name. name. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I, let's talk about the the visions or the hallucinations or whatever you want to call them. Then, because the the kind of like you know the the setup for the episode is that you know Gold Ducat has been uh, being uh, you know in treatment with a with a Federation psychologist or a military psychologist, whoever it was, probably Starfleet, because yeah. there is no actual Federation; it's only Starfleet, apparently. <laughs> and he's cured. Everything's great. And then, of course, he's not because he's seeing people and talking to them, and these people are not there. Well, again, to give him the benefit of the doubt, he is going to have a very different mental state. You really want to give Gold Ducat the benefit of the doubt, don't you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, his mental state will be very different in a hospital, in a transport ship, you know, in civilization than it would be after a crash in a planet with, you know, only one person. Sure, it's, but I think You know, that... I, I'm not – no, I'm not going to say that Ducat was 100% stable before the be, – you know, at the beginning of the episode. No, he clearly wasn't completely cured, but he was a lot more calm during then and certainly – you know, he probably and medicated, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. He 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 had a lot of reasons why he wasn't quite as erratic. His behavior wasn't quite as erratic in the initial segments than it does once they get onto the planet. Well, and I think what it really speaks to is, of course, the the hallucinations. And I don't know that I really want to talk about them as as manifestations of mental illness because you know, television treatments of mental illness in general are, yeah. are not very well grounded in fact, but. But he's Cardassian. This could be how it manifests. Yeah, sure, so. it, it could be. Um, but it, I it's, it's it's that's a very standard trope in you know when a character is crazy, they'll see people. You know, I we just have to accept it. Yeah, but I think what what's you know what's most interesting about Ducat's hallucinations are, are not really the fact that they're happening because that's just shorthand for Ducat is still really fucked up in the head. Yeah. Uh, is who he's seeing and the sort of conversations that he's having, mm-hmm. because I think that what you really get is is you, you mean obviously you get Wayun right, and that kind of represents yeah. his his ultimate failure because he was defeated by the Federation and you know deposed essentially, and it's also somebody who has undeniable authority that's telling him what to do, and you know yeah he at a point where he's really fucking lost yeah. Then you have Demar who is. The ultimate lackey, the one who will always, you know, worship him and you know, respect him and do whatever he says is right. Who is also now the head of the Cardassian yeah, government, and I'm sure who very much knows that. And who very much, as we said last week, Damar seems to need somebody to tell him what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Kira is interesting because Kira— She's is, a little bit of the wild card, I Yeah, think. I mean, Dukat somehow seems to think that he— belongs with Kira. I think that, you know, at this point, he he's, she has taken some very high symbolism to him for several reasons. Um, as the person who, you know, advocated for his daughter and was very good friends with her, as the, you know, one Bajoran that he respects as somebody who, yeah, you know, yeah. is, a, like, she has a lot of importance to him. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a... I, 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 it's, it's, it's interesting that she's the one who refuses to give him any approval in her, in his hallucinations of her. Yeah, that's actually a good point. And I think it's, it's obviously that is something that is consistent with, with the real Kira as well. I mean, it comes off as so like, oh my God, I'm even a loser in my dreams, you know, kind of a thing that that's, that's what the appearance of Kira here seems to be. I mean, he would, a fantasy version of Kira would do nothing but say, you know, listen, it was hard times, but it was the right thing, and we're better as a people for the occupation, you know, and all of those things. Yeah. And by the way, your Brower just looks so <laughs> handsome. But, um... Well, I guess, I mean, yeah, and I think that, that the the question I want to ask you is, you know, this, this is a very... It's a very contained episode. It's very yeah. constrained. It takes place really in one set. And it's really a, I mean, this is really a stage play in, in effect yeah. between Cisco and Ducat. And so every so often, Worf and Dax come up, say, we have a time limit. Oh, boy. Right. And, it's just a way to create yeah. dramatic tension, which is fine. But, you know, we don't, we spend a lot of time. It's essentially a, a you know, a two man play with Ducat and Cisco. 
And it really does come down to the strength of the writing and the strength of the acting and characterizations. And this is something that Deep Space Nine doesn't do that often, and Star Trek doesn't do that often. But, I mean, it's done very well. And oh, yeah. I think it, it, it's obviously effective for this episode. But at the end of the day, where does it leave... I mean, Cisco obviously is not changed by this experience. He still thinks Dukat is a bad person. Maybe he thinks he's even worse now because he did outright say that he hates all Bajorans and wants them all to die. Well, I guess during the beginning of the episode where Cisco's opening monologue, where he's a little uncomfortable around Dukat, but he, you know, he does say this: the man lost an empire. He lost, you know, he lost his daughter. Like, how much more punishment, you know, is fair? Like, he is wondering at what point. You know, this is somebody who has done some horrible things. Yeah. That said, w- morally, how much can you punish somebody? Is the are we going to get redemption and retribution from Golducott? Are we going to get punishment from him if the goal is sim- is to make him suffer? Isn't that just sadism? Hasn't he suffered? You know, all of these. You know, is the right thing to do just lock him up, you know, in a Federation prison for life and treat him okay? But you know, don't let him in near any like. Cisco is beginning this episode unsure kind of of where the line needs to be drawn by the end of the episode where he says, look, at this point, it's him or me. Like, Yeah, but again, I mean, think about like a, like Keevan, for example, right, from from uh, uh, um, yeah. Rocks and Shoals yeah, 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 yeah. and the Magnificent Frankie from last week. Like there is an element to which everybody knows that being in a Federation prison is not the yes. worst thing in the world. It's comfortable. You get a bed. It's you know, you get a hot meal every day. You, you know, you probably get a lot of recreation time. You get a lot of yes. psychological counseling. You know, all these things. It's and not, especially Gold Ducat is going to be in the country clubbiest of the country club prisons. Right. I mean, put put Cisco. You know, like he said, right when he sets up the, uh, uh, you know, the, the the machine to set out the the um, uh, distress signal. Yeah. When when Cisco realizes that the distress signal is not going out and Gold Ducat is setting up the machine and saying, hey, you know, uh, we got a half a half chance here. You know, yeah, Dominion could come. Federation could come. That's fair. Right. And no, it's not. Yeah, because Cisco is not going to be treated well and put Cisco in the in this exact same position, put Cisco in a position where Kira shoots and kills Jake Cisco and he goes temporarily yeah. insane from that and he has a breakdown. And he gets captured by the Dominion in Cardassia. Um, he's not going to be given extensive no. psychological counseling. No, he, no he's no. not going to be given any help whatsoever. Again, at the very worst case that Gold Ducat is in prison for life, he's not going to have a bad time of it. He may not be able to, you know, his life will be very confined and very small, but he'll be able to do whatever he wants within that. Right. You know, and, and also there is the fact that Gold Ducat is being taken to a Federation prison and going on trial to determine his guilt for atrocities that he may or may not have committed. Uh, Which is also interesting because I don't know exactly what the Federation is putting him on trial for. I wonder wonder if this... I mean, there is... He's not Hitler. He's a little more like Eichmann in this case. Well, yeah, and I also think that it would have been more appropriate. I mean, maybe this is just, again, something that it's too complicated for the episode to get across in the opening, you know, captain's log, but... It would make more sense to me if the Federation was going to hand him over to Bajor for trial. Yes. And it doesn't sound like that's what was going to happen. They were actually going to put him on trial in the Federation. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. know what Gul Dukat did to the Federation, really. Yeah. Bajor is not a member of the Federation. In fact, Cisco torpedoed that last yes, season. Yes, that's true. So I'm not sure what's going there on. There could have been but... a line that, you know, Bajor requested the trial yeah. held at a Federation facility because they don't have the ability to contain the security to contain him. The sure. end. Yeah, that could have been something. It's just one of those minor things that always no, kind of bothers me about that. But yeah, yeah, is that an oversight? Is that just nobody else is going to ask this question? I don't know. Me, it seems a little more the latter. But and then, of course, at the end of the day, you know, before we move on to to who mourns for mourn, is Gold Ducat's not going on trial because Gold no. Ducat has disappeared, and that's a very. I, I didn't expect where this episode would end up with. Yeah. Ducat actually escaping, and now finally the restraints are off. He doesn't really have any. He wants to, you know, 
he has a very different goal. His goal has never quite been to destroy Bajor and everybody on it. Now that's a ridiculous cartoonish supervillain thing. He is completely snapped, but yeah. his goal has always been I'm going to get my position back. I'm going to he always wanted to be the guy that everybody loved and looked up to and respected and, you know, everybody well, perfect, out on his perfect briefs. example when he was playing, you know, a pirate in, yeah. the, in the Klingon Bird of Prey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, he's, you know, he just has such a fuzzy goal, impossible goal that he's going to end up destroying himself from. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he he now he's I mean, he really is at the point where he's thinks everybody is his enemy. The Dominion wouldn't let him do what he wanted. You know, the his Cardassian superiors were the one who put him into this position in the first place. The Federation will, you know, they won't give me the respect I deserve. Bajorans, they're disgusting. Like. He has nobody who, you know, he I mean, likes I or who likes him anymore. And I that's... don't think the Tholians ever did anything. <laughs> so maybe he could go to them. I don't know. That's that's. Yeah, we'll have to see where that goes. I mean, of course, this is not going to be the last time we see Gold Dukat. No. He does not disappear from the show. This is not the type of show that no. would do that. But yeah, it is It is a kind of a shocking ending yeah. to it and something that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. No, no. I, when they said war tri- crimes trial, I thought, all right, that's going to be, you know, yeah, a thing. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to mention before we move on to who, who mourns for mourn is I was getting a real misery vibe. I, was, I wrote that. I was going to say this reminded me of misery, especially when he, you know, is pretending to be less injured than he is. Yeah. And, you know, when he beats him. Um, and Cisco totally got me because I thought after he beat him with the pipe, like, oh, God, that's it. And he. That's not it. <laughs> There's one thing that Cisco is, that, is tenacious. But that was amazing because they hit exactly what he was. He did. He pulled the same trick twice. The first time we were totally in on it, but the second time he gets suckered. That's a sign of a good of a good magician. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I guess we we have to talk about who mourns for more. And so let's let's see. Talk about I knew it. this would be an episode you hated, and this was. I, I know sometimes I'll, I'll talk about, oh, if I had written this episode, you know, this is what I, you know, I find that's a useful exercise for me because it helps me realize where the episode let me down. Okay. And so, again, now I actually knew that there was going to be a Morn Death episode because a couple of weeks ago I was looking for a photo of Morn to send Eric and somebody, you know, one of the Google autocorrects was Morn Death. So I'm like, aw. And well, maybe it's a typo, and then they showed the uh, the the drawing of him on the corner of the bar, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know. So, what I thought we were going to get would be a low key character episode in which a minor character that everybody kind of knows dies. Maybe he was helping out for, um, you know, he, he we find out for sure he runs a little cargo ship, and you know, maybe he was helping out with a Federation convoy and. That was blown up by the Dominion or something, but I, think I like to imagine that he and Cassidy Yates have business together. That they have would be sometimes. so nice, and I bet she can never. So where get the hell in... is Cassidy Yates? I know, right? Anyway, um, was she on another show at this point? Because I don't. Maybe she was actually. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I, I figured he would be killed some some kind of casualty of this war that's going on, and then we were going to have this episode in which. All of these characters are dealing with this person that they all know, that they all, you know, but they've all thought of mostly as kind of furniture and thought that would always be there. And this is a casualty of a war that he only vaguely had something to do with about. And it would be a very, again, almost similar to Lower Decks or something. It would be one of those episodes that DS9, I think, could have done very well. Who is this person that's always at the corner of the bar that, again— We've seen we've been seeing him for seasons, but the fact that he has a mother in a couple episodes ago was the first time we've really heard anything personal about him. Yeah, what we get. Yeah, is what? Yeah, what? This. We, yeah, what we get is a stupid, dumb, broad comedy episode that doesn't tell us anything about any of the characters and actively makes Quark out to be the type of person that he was like three years ago. I mean, the beginning of the episode until he goes into the quarters and finds the wife. Like, I really liked. You know, I, I I loved the bit where Quark is giving this speech about, you know, that ends with, you know, keep his seat warm. Oh, the warm. eulogy was like, great. And, and, you know, Kira's almost in tears. And it's, you know, and it's like, yes, Quark is laying it on extraordinarily thick. But at the same time, like, 
this is a master at work. Like, it works. You know, I love that, you know, then O'Brien and Bashir are actually sitting in the seat, you know, and actually have, you know, kind of fallen for it. But, you know, or when they're going to the funeral and, you know, Dax is saying, oh, I always thought he was handsome, you know. You know, and they're all just talking about their... You know, this is somebody that they all knew. Again, they they had a drink with him at some point. They chatted with him at some point, and well, now he's gone. And I, like I said, that part I thought was ex- very sensitive and well done. There, yeah. I think the, the problem is that I like I've said before many yeah. many times. It's not that I don't like Morn. It's that I don't understand why everyone else loves him so fucking much. Yeah, he's a stupid sight gag. And when you treat him as a real person, it falls apart. You get lines in this episode about how he talked everyone's ears and off. And that's ridiculous. How he, you know, and it's like he was sparring with Worf. That's D- stupid. Dax had a crush on him. Yeah, I mean, he, it's he, the like, kind of thing where I don't like that they've made him this chatterbox off screen, but whenever he's on screen, like... It's stupid. It makes sense for his character to be the kind of person. He's always at the end of the bar. He doesn't talk much. He and Quark have had a bunch of conversations because they see each other every day. You it's, know, it's the kind of thing that people think is going to be funny and isn't, and they just double down on the gag. It, yeah, you know, Morn, like you said, you said earlier that Morn is furniture. I think Morn should be furniture. Yeah, it and- would be more consistent if Morn was. Just he just didn't talk, and no one really yeah. knew what his deal was. This episode would have worked better, exactly. If, if that I mean, were the case, and he, I think that they've set up this stupid joke that they can't get out from under, which is that Morn is yeah. a chatterbox off screen, and it just it's not funny and doesn't work. And even to the point where he shows up at the end of the episode, he would say something. Yeah, you get that stupid thing about Quark. It's like I don't even want to hear it. <sighs> it's like, come on, guys, this is not good. Like, yeah. what are you doing? No, the the. I mean, this yeah, it's it's true. This episode could have deal, dealt with the fact that it has treated more in like furniture. Again, this the hologram at the beginning was a perfect example, right? Because of how, how would, that works, and because, this this is exactly what my problem with this episode is: is that it presumes that not only Quark but everyone else on the station is a goddamn idiot. Yes, because how would anybody actually believe that that hologram was Morn if Morn was a fucking chatterbox? Yeah, if he's just the guy that. Doesn't say anything to anybody unless, you know, he is in a, you know, I I mean, that could have, that could have been something if the, even if the episode wanted to go funny, every person has only had like one five minute conversation with Morn and like, you know, everybody knows this one random surprising fact about him. You right, know, and he lived right. this rich life, but you know, nobody ever knew because he was just always at the end of the bar and drinking and keeping to himself, you know. That could work. Yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, the whole thing about the, I mean, we'll talk, I mean, the actual, okay, let's move on to the plot, because I think we've done enough with, with the stupidity of the actual character <laughs> of Mord and the problem with treating this character as a real character when you've established that he is supposed to be this, like, talkative guy, that it also makes Quark, I mean, number one, it makes Quark out to be an idiot, and it also treats Quark like the Quark of, like, two or three years ago. You know, Quark is completely motivated by money. Quark doesn't care about Morn at all. Quark doesn't care about yeah. anybody on the station. He only cares about making money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we know all this. This is what Quark was like in season one and two. I get it. We don't need to revisit this. Why are we revisiting this? Why is it interesting that they've got these wacky characters? Why is there an alien talking like Jack Nicholson? I don't know. Morn sleeps in mud. Isn't that funny? The whole thing is just like this. Not... Okay, just like just like Waltz was. They wrote. They watched too much misery. This feels like they watched Reservoir Dogs a couple times too many people, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's what they seem to be going for a capery Tarantino thing. That just which you know would be fine. I mean, I think that again, if it had been done well, but this wasn't done well. The the well, right? It's it's too broad. I mean. I mean, the problem with it is that there's no actual grounded humanity here. There's no actual believability here. You know, establish. Okay, we have to deal with the fact that Morn was established as a certain type of character. All right, I'm. Let's for the sake of argument, for the sake of going along with the episode, let's let's do that. Let's say, okay, yes, I accept the character of Morn as he is as as he is established yeah. in this episode. We have to do that. But what we get in in the whole plot is a series of contrivances and conveniences and just unbelievabilities piled up one on one against each other that 
don't make any sense and and make everyone else out to be frankly a, a bunch of morons. I mean, it is one of those things where you look at it and you say, okay, Quark is there, there, there's a woman there that says she's his ex-wife. All right, you know, we we could buy it. It's believable enough. Quark has been established as a character that is very motivated by a pretty face and a good body. Okay, fine. And I even like how in that that sequence, he doesn't really buy it, but he's also trying to figure out how to have his cake and eat it. Too, sure, you know, and well, like, that's what that scene with with Dax is supposed to yeah. be establishing that she's you know saying, "Oh, be careful," you know. Yeah, and don't I don't pre- trust her. I appreciate that, especially also given that this is a noir noirish type piece. You know, she's the femme fatale. Great, but. Let's let's number one not forget that we had a really great deconstruction of the fan fatale a few uh, episodes ago, the one where Odo and the uh, yeah you know a simple investigation where we knew all right this woman isn't who she appears to be, but it took it in a direction nobody expected and, and that, was a lot more complex than simply she's really just in it for the money. And that was because that episode was. It was actually a better plot than this. Mm. It had a better resolution than this. It it had a better backstory for that character. And it also said something about Odo and where he was emotionally. And this episode has nothing to say about where anybody is emotionally. And that's really what it comes down to is that, you know, again, the ex-wife is a fine character. Then we get these these two green aliens. One talks like Jack Nicholson. It's ridiculous. I mean, obviously, there's some sort of scam going on with these guys. They're, they're, yeah. you, you know, they may as well be wearing signs around their neck that say we are criminals, <laughs> you know, like, and then you get this other guy coming into Quark's quarters who says Quark's quarters. That's hard to say. His Quarkers. Quark's quarters. His Quarkers. That, <laughs> that he's an officer of like the, some sort of, I don't know. His, of the, well, whatever Morn's planet is. Sure. Well, that's the thing. It's not even consistent because they say that like Morn is a Lesepian, but then they say that like he's from Lauren or something. I don't know. The whole thing is just like, they don't even seem to be paying attention to their own names. And you know, Quark again, doesn't ask for identification. Yeah. Doesn't call Odo and say, Hey, can you check up on this guy? He just goes along with it. It's like, what? And then he's, feeds him this line about Morin actually being like a former crown prince. Yeah. And Quark believes it. I just, and I guess we're supposed to believe that Quark is so blinded by, I mean, you know, I don't know how much money a thousand bricks of gold press latinum is supposed to be. I was rounding it up to, you know, $10 million or something. It's It's a lot of money. It it, it turned out it came from a heist that was so, you know, impossible to get to, you know, it's, I mean, the way they describe it, it's like, you know, they they robbed Fort Knox. So, you know. Right. It's, you know, 19th century bandits, you know, going yeah. to Fort Knox and breaking in or something, which is fine. But again, it it, it just treat, it makes Quark out to be an idiot. He doesn't question any of this. He doesn't ask for any yeah. verification. He is being treated like the Quark of a few seasons ago who was very motivated by money. And it's all just. It, for, for and for what for nothing you know that the episode comes to a resolution which i don't know what are we supposed to think about this Quark got 100 latinums and that's the end 100 gold press bars of gold press latinum no bricks of gold press we latinum. learn what gold press latinum means and it's stupid right yeah it's actually a some sort of well it's so a, latinum is liquid and it's a liquid it's a it's a it's an element that is liquid at room temperature and you can apparently alloy it with gold too, and latinum can be extracted from there. So, which is fine. The worthless gold. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like okay, we get it. All right, it's yeah. funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. And, that- and, and it turned out to be in Morn's second stomach for the past ten years. I mean, do they not under? Uh, I know we're dealing with an alien species, but stomachs in general, like yeah. Well, digest maybe, they yeah. don't like just keep like eat, cows have four stomachs the stuff passes from one stomach to another depending on i mean i guess we're supposed to assume that morn has the ability to close off his stomach or maybe he yeah, has some sort of lesepian you know yoga or something to, to close off his stomach and then he could just keep the latinum in there and, and i was very underwhelmed by the latinum in the glass at the end shouldn't that have been like this gorgeous glowing thing 
Right, it just looked like mercury. Yeah. I mean, okay, fine. No, it looked even less than mercury. Like, they could have literally just dropped some mercury into there, and it would have been very impressive vision. Maybe that's exactly what they did, and I don't know anything about, you know. No, it was 19, it was, you know, it's 1997 CGI. I, I don't know. I mean, they that was a CGI effect. I don't know why they used CGI for that, because they could have just used some mercury. Mercury is dangerous, I suppose. I was going to say, they, they, it, they but... could take, you know, the actor could take some glitter in water and, you know. Spit it out. Well, that would have been even dumber, I think. It's just... I think this episode was kind of dumb. And we did just have a really good comedy Ferengi episode last week that, you know, maybe it didn't tell us a ton about anything, but it was fun to watch, and it fit with all the established characters, and, and it was... I don't know. Everybody in the Magnificent Ferengi was having a great time chewing the scenery, and even that was enjoyable. Here, it didn't even seem like Armin Shimmerman was having a fun time. Oh, no. Right? He said he's gone on the record as saying that he hated this episode and he hated filming it. You and, can and tell. I, it's, yeah, it's, he's not into it at all. It's And, you know, th- that's, that's I guess, the big problem with it. You know, we, we aren't along with Quark. We're just as bored with he, he is. He seems to just want to get back to his bar the entire time. Yeah, that's pretty much it. At the end of the day... It's an episode where Quark is bored by his own life and he's (laughs) in situations that he can't control. He's in a situation that he has no idea how to get out of. And it's frankly not interesting because if Quark took two seconds to ask ask for verification or go to Odo or do something, he would have been fine. And at the end of the day, Quark knows he's not going to be able to keep this money. I mean, he's gone through this a lot of times before. Yeah. He's not going to be able to keep the money. He's just not going to be able to. I mean, I could see a version of the episode, which is the same plot. But at this point, you know, yes, these thousand pieces of latinum, but Quark knows something's going to happen to not keep him. And he, you know, he's sad because his best customer is dead. And yes, you know, there is some of the he's going to lose that 5% profit. That's sad, too. But, you know, you know, he... So I can picture this where Quark just doesn't give a shit and this plot is trying to happen around him and he's just not having it. You know, he doesn't want to believe any of the bullshit these people are spinning because he knows it's just going to give him trouble. Like that might have been, you know, a version where Quark is canonically and openly pissed off by this entire event might have been a much better, much more entertaining episode. I I think so. I think you're right. And I, I, I think that that also, you know, hits on exactly why the episode doesn't work because... It would have been more effective if Quark just didn't care about more yeah. and, and was like, whatever, I don't know who this guy is. I don't really care. He doesn't talk. I don't know anything about him. He comes into my bar. He didn't pay his bar tab. It's just like, you know, but instead we have to pretend that Morn is this real character that we care about and that is 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 a real person. And he's not. He's a sight gag. And uh, it's a waste of time. And I guess what the other thing is, this episode kind of shows me they never will do anything interesting with Morn. This was supposed to be Morn's great limelight episode, and it sucked. Well, that's really the problem with it, though, is how do you... And this is why it took so long for them to do this episode, incidentally. I mean, yeah. you know, this is the middle of the sixth season of the show. That how do you make a Morn episode with a sight gag character who doesn't talk on screen? And the answer is you have to have him gone for most of it. Yeah. So that's the other problem with it, too, is, you know... And in a show that has such a deep bench of yeah. recurring characters as well, to waste an episode of the show on a sight gag when you could have done an episode about, I don't know, Kira dealing with Zial's death mm. or you could, I mean, anything, right? Ca- I want, what about Cassidy Yates? Where is she? Yeah, where is she? I mean, this would have been a great, ep- again, you're doing the low key character episode, have Cassidy Yates appear and. You know, she knew more and they worked together. They were, you know, kind of rivals, but maybe they, you know, split a couple, you know, jobs together. Right, right. And I guess that's what it really comes down to as well is, you know, the very resolution of the episode, which is that Morn has faked his own death to to get out of the statute of limitations so he can keep the money. And he knows he's got this whole plan that he knows that they'll all turn on each other at the end and kill each other or go to prison and he'll be able to keep all the money and give Quark some. It's like... All right. I mean, I guess that's the best resolution this but episode could have gotten. That's but... the thing. Do we believe it's one thing? Do we believe that Morn is really as chatty as everyone says he is? I don't know. Do, be- do we believe no. that? Mo- <laughs> I don't. Do we believe that Morn is this brilliant chess master who knows 
you know, how to manipulate five people to be exactly where he needs them to be in order to, you know, get away with this and that he planned this impossible, you know, I don't know. I don't. Morn is a blank slate, and it's easy to project a lot onto him. At the same time, this episode asks us to project a little more than I think we can comfortably do. I, I think so. You needed to have a little thing to earn it. Yeah, I think so. And and, and again, finally, I think that, that, you know, it also feels very tonally out of place in this season as well. Yeah. You know, because each episode has been you know, if not directly about the war, it has at least referenced it in some way, in some significant yeah. way. And again, which is why I thought that Morn was going to die, yeah. you know, in a skirmish or something like that. Right. Again, uh, the casualties of a war that, I mean, I don't think Morn is a Federation citizen, is he? I don't think so. No, you know, the war, a war that he has nothing really to do with, you know, and that he just accepted a job and, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. So this could have been an interesting episode, but we got this instead. Well, a little fact about the eulogy scene when yeah. Quark yeah. brings over the guy to sit in Morn's chair. That's the guy who plays Morn. Oh, okay. So that was, you know, I mean, I'll do, do with that information what you will, but I guess that's okay. I mean, you know, it's it's cute. Yeah, it's fine. But it's one of those things where it's like you wouldn't know that unless I told you. Well, you told me so. It's and I didn't. I didn't know that until I did research on this episode. Well, then I guess that this entire twenty-five year experience we've been doing has borne some fruit, like all of the fruit that they give Morin after he dies. Yeah, yeah. I do think it was a nice custom though that they had some sort of like Egyptian thing going on where they bring him a bunch of food and, and <laughs> tools and things that they think he might need in the afterlife. I thought that was nice. Yeah. That's about it, though. I mean, it reminds me of, like, you know, in an Italian family, you bring over, like, five million th- foods, and you have to cook for everybody. Well, no, it wasn't for everybody. No, it I know. For, it was for Morn. I know. But it was for Morn. And, and that's the other thing. Like, apparently, everybody on this station loves Morn. Yeah, why not? Apparently, He's it's written. You know, the guidebooks that anybody writes about DS9, and while at Quarks, be sure to say hello to Morn. He's going to be on the corner of the table. <laughs> that is great. I bet he has his own Wikipedia page I in bet he does. the universe. All right. I think that's it for Who Mourns for Mourn. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we have just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, where if you want to support our podcasting endeavors, including our other podcast tuning in, we are reaching the end of Firefly this week on Thursday with the release of the episode about objects in space, mm. which is a great, fantastic episode of Firefly and a wonderful way for the show to go out. Written and directed by Joss Whedon, who has a lot of thoughts about existentialism. It's a good time. <laughs> Check that out. And uh, also go to patreon.com slash show to give us a little bit of your money if you feel so inclined. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Show. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Truck About. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week is a good week, Richard. Yeah? Fret not. That's Thing- the episode called? No. <laughs> <laughs> Things are turning around. I'm telling you not to fret. Okay. Things are turning around. So that's what the episode's called? Yes. We're talking about Fret Not and Things Are Turning Around. Oh, well, that's a spoiler. <laughs> no, we're talking about Far Beyond the Stars and One Little Ship.